0: I really enjoyed your message this past Sabbath. Thank you. Because originally I was assigned to preach that passage.
1: Oh, sure. I'd, I'd forgotten that, but yeah. Because, yeah. Because of the way things kind of jangled out there.
0: Yeah. And I remember reading it and I was going to start preparing for it two weeks ago. And that's when we things got, you know, shuffled. Yeah. And I thought to myself... Man, why do I get all the lame passages? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Man, come on, son. I don't
0: have come the. On. I don't have the Christ, Tim. I don't have He who began a good work and you will finish it. I don't have. uh I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I don't have to mm. live as Christ to die as gain. I got Timothy and Epaphroditus. Yes. Granted, I didn't study it. I just kind of read it. Right. And I thought to myself, shoot, why do I get all the lame ones? But after listening to your sermon, I thought to myself, man, I'm this, this, this was the sermon for the discipleship pastor because that's, that's how
1: I felt too. (laughs) I was like, I was like, ah, this is good. And my next one actually too, uh, in a few weeks here, uh, my next sermon where, where I'm up is another one that, that pulls on this example and models as well. So I'm, I'm excited about building on that.
0: Welcome to the MGC podcast, where we desire to go deep in the Christian faith. My name is Alex Portillo, and I am your host. In this episode, we take a close look at Timothy and Epaphroditus, Pastor Johnny walks us through Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 30 to show us how these two great men are exemplars on what it means to live a life that is worthy of the gospel of Christ. Thank you for joining us. Grab a drink, open your Bible, and enjoy the show.
1: The fabric of your life makes a real argument for or against, you know, what you are talking about, what you're, what you're presenting on. I think that in our time, it's very easy to focus very much on the, on the logic, on the rationale, on the thinking. But the great but is that so many of us get so caught up in the logic and, and understanding the what's and the why's. That we don't get caught up in the, in the passion. That we don't get caught up in the action.
0: In Philippians chapter 1 verse 15 through 18, Paul talks about how there are some who preach Christ out of envy and rivalry. And he says that these same people preach Christ out of selfish ambition and not sincerely. But he says that there are others who preach out of goodwill and that these people preach out of love. And they're aware that Paul is in prison for the defense of the gospel. And when we read Philippians chapter 2 verse 19 through 24, Paul clearly sets Timothy apart as one of those who preach the gospel out of goodwill. And I just want to read real quickly here, Philippians chapter 2, verse 19 through 21. The passage reads, I hope to send Timothy to you soon, if the Lord Jesus allows it. Then I will be encouraged when I receive news about you. I have no one else like Timothy. He will truly care about how you are doing. All the others are looking out for their own interests. They are not looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. And just by the way it reads, it seems that Paul is making a connection between caring about others and looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ. Am I understanding this passage correctly? How is caring for others connected to looking out for the interests of Jesus Christ?
1: As I think about that question, I think it's interesting. And in, in digging into the into the Greek here, the original language, it's interesting. All of these different words for interests, um, they're the same word. But also intriguingly, it's not actually interests. It's about the vaguest term that you could use. It's common for this word to be used in this way, but but essentially, it's like it's it's the word the but in the plural. So it's like the the's, you know, the the, the things that are that are definite things that that have that, that the ness <laughs> to them. And so sometimes when you when you come across this in an English translation, it will translate it as as things or matters or kind of these unclear sort of situations. So there it's really derived by context. And that same word is used both, or or I should say, in all three circumstances where, where we talk about first the things regarding yourself, regarding you, the Philippians, and then also the things that are for themselves, looking out for their own interests, and then also the interests of Jesus. So that definitely leads me to conclude there's some sort of connection between these three different sets of interests, that Paul is not probably trying to differentiate them qualitatively from each other. This second part of the question is particularly interesting because the context in this letter makes the connection either secondary or primary. If by Jesus' interests we mean those things that are actually advantageous to Jesus, in much the same way that health and wealth and peace and harmony would be advantageous to the Philippians, and money and respect and authority would be advantageous to those who are, who are preaching Christ for their own self-interest or, or only caring about themselves. If Jesus' interests are, as Philippians uh, 2 uh, verses 9 through 11 talks about, every knee bowing, every tongue confessing, that, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of the Father, if Jesus' interests are meant to be that interest of ultimate glory, then, in that case, the idea of the interests of others being part of the interests of Jesus is secondary because it's when we pour ourselves into the interests of others that our acts, our character, speak to the nature of Jesus and thus make Jesus someone to glorify, right, and honor. Each each time we live out a prompting of the Holy Spirit in caring for somebody else, it it's something that brings glory to God because it's fruit of God's work in our lives. So that's one option. The second option is that The interests of Jesus, those things that are most advantageous to Jesus, again, come from the first part of the Christ hymn at the beginning of this chapter, where the interests of Jesus seem to be the salvation of humanity, working for the souls of people. And so Jesus comes, puts aside equality with God, clothes himself in humanity, and comes and dies so that humanity can be saved. If that is jesus primary interest then jesus interest is primarily for others and thus interest and true care genuine concern for others would be entirely synonymous with the interests of jesus because that's how he's defined what his interests are so it really is a um, it's a question of, of how we deal With the context here, the immediate paragraph, the immediate passage is not exceptionally clear from my study on this point.
0: In Philippians chapter 2 verse 26, Paul tells us that Epaphroditus was troubled, not because he was sick, but because the Philippian Christians heard he was sick. Can you walk us through his concern? What does the focus of his concern teach us about loving our community?
1: I love that question. It was really cool for me to read about Epaphroditus and and who he is. And really, we don't know much about him. He's mentioned just a couple times in this letter, the letter to the Philippians, and we we don't really hear much else about him in scripture. It seems that, you know, from the limited information that we have, and from this passage itself to get a little bit of a fuller context of the story, even things that I wasn't able to share in the sermon itself. So probably what happens is that the Philippian church here, they've got this house church, you know, with uh, former slaves and, and a former uh, jailer. Perhaps he's still running the jail there and and uh, merchants and all these different people. Right. They have this deep, deep seated sense of responsibility to Paul. They owe him their lives he has brought salvation to them that for the jailer he literally saved the jailer's life for the girl who was a slave uh, he literally freed her from satan right Uh, not he but jesus Um, but he's the instrument that jesus used and so they have i think an incredibly deep sense of responsibility even obligation perhaps a sense of duty to maintaining Paul's health and life and supporting him in ministry. They hear that Paul is in trouble. And you can imagine this, right? They're looking around in their church. And and who are they going to send? Imagine that, you know, you and in, in your faith community had a had an opportunity to to send that person or to send some person on a on a great quest to be a part of a key committee or conference to to go do something great in the world to go do something incredibly hard who would you choose who would rise to the top in the community in most churches in in our churches you know we would go to especially something that we knew would be physically demanding we would go to that that young man that young woman who has been growing up they've been they've been sharing sermons every once in a while maybe one of our youth ignite speakers uh, at Meadow Glade. maybe we would go to uh, someone who's you know maybe young late in late 20s early 20s and uh, has been involved in, in preaching and now is teaching a sabbath school class you know people who have really demonstrated their spiritual maturity and have invested deeply in the community and have a real sense of responsibility people whose characters are just rich and and thick you know and so the community looks to someone who has already invested deeply. I imagine, in their community, someone who's already a leader, someone who's already and they're and they're grooming him. They're preparing him for more leadership. Perhaps one day he'll be an elder, or uh, perhaps one day he'll lead the the community itself. So they send here the best of the best. They send Epaphroditus, right? And he's someone who's been journeying with them for a long time. So this is this is the background. That, that I imagine. And when, when Epaphroditus gets to Paul after this long journey, uh, it is not safe, it is not easy, right? Ships and shipwrecks, all sorts of things could happen. You know, you're risking. You're risking someone who you really care deeply about. So Epaphroditus then steps up to this challenge, and the Philippians chose him not only because he's great, Not only because he's a leader, but because they want to minister to Paul's needs greatly. They send some sort of financial gift, it seems like, but they send these things because, coming back to the beginning of this, their responsibility to Paul is great. And they know that Paul is going through extreme hardship, so they want to send someone who they know that this will guarantee that Paul will be helped that Paul will be served, that, that Paul Paul's ministry that's under fire now as he's in prison will be able to advance and go forward. So the Philippian church then, when Paul sends Epaphroditus back, um, there's actually a, a strong sense, and again, this was something that I wasn't able to get into in the sermon, but uh, commentators note that probably one of the reasons why Paul gives this commendation of Epaphroditus is to make sure that the Philippian church knows that they didn't fail. That, that Paul wants to make sure that they know that they didn't fall short in fulfilling their responsibility, that their obligation was met, that Epaphroditus was the right person to send to do this job. Because if Paul didn't give such a glowing commendation, such a glowing reference about Epaphroditus and his service, Sending him back would actually be a source of shame for the, for the community. So Paul has to go kind of the extra mile to let them know, no, 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 like I got it, I, it was received, it was a wonderful gift, this meant a lot to me, it meant a lot to the community here, and, and there's, there's these sort of um, interpersonal plays that, that are going on right here in this passage. We now come to Epaphroditus as he is there in Rome. And he falls ill. We don't know what the what the illness was. Was was he injured? Did he? Uh, and then that became infected, and, and so he's feverish. Things like this. Did he catch you know one of the many uh, bugs floating around the Mediterranean uh, at this time? We don't know. But it, Paul says that that he was ill to the to the point of death. He was close to death. And it seems as though even though Paul Paul the one who prayed for someone who was found dead on the street and that young man rose up someone who was, was a part of some amazing miracles, Paul didn't know that Epaphroditus would be healed. He had, a, on some level, he seems to have resigned himself to the reality that perhaps he would lose Epaphroditus from this, from this passage because of, of the illness, that perhaps God wasn't going to heal him. But God pulls him through. Somehow, they get word, maybe they send word, but Epaphroditus finds out that they know um, or, or has very high likelihood, you know, knowing that the Philippian church that sent him is now, now they are as a community, they're probably feeling like, like, oh great, we sent someone and then he got sick. So we sent someone to care for Paul and then he got sick and how now frustrating this may be, this could be for the community at this time. Epaphroditus, hearing this, understanding this, and being as close to the community as he is, that touches his heart deeply, so deeply that it makes him long to be home. But at the end of the day, what Paul says is that he's concerned for you. He's concerned about your concern. And so so Epaphroditus has really stepped into leadership regardless of how formal his leadership role is, he has stepped into leadership in that community in that he has internalized responsibility for the well-being of the community in himself. Then when we come down to kind of the, the second part of this question, what does the focus uh, of his concern teach us about loving our community? Where, where I read this is I see it as a, as a condemnation of this Western individualism that we have embraced so unquestioningly in much of our culture, you know, where, where we kind of we show up, um, someone says something we don't like, we decide not to talk to them. Someone says something we like, we, we decide they're going to be friends until, until they say something we don't like, and then we don't we're not going to talk to them anymore. We have a tendency toward fickle commitments, we build connections with those who are around us. And when I say we, I even I even mean myself. People like Paul and Epaphroditus are invested so deeply in these communities that when something rocks that community, even when they're absent, it, it touches them to the core. And so I think that this is a this is a great example for us to call us forward to a deeper a deeper commitment, a deeper emotional commitment to the good of others, to really invest our hearts in the people around us, not just our time, not just our money, not just our skills, but to really invest our hearts in the good of those around us.
0: You have said that there are two kinds of Christians. Can you tell us about these two kinds of Christians? Can you tell us what these two kinds of Christians are? And can you expand more on this idea?
1: Yeah. So, so this concept, I was, I was reading, you know, in, in preparation for uh, the message for preaching on this passage, and I and I ran across this quote from Warren Wearsby, who is a late uh, theologian, uh, did most of his work in the in the twentieth century, but just passed away in two thousand nineteen. Actually, he talked about this. He says that. Everyone is a Philippians Christian. If you're a Christian, <laughs> you're either a Philippians one twenty one Christian or a Philippians two twenty one Christian. And of course, you know the the one twenty one Christian are those who who say to live is Christ, and they throw their lot in with Jesus. And the two twenty one Christian, which uh, you know you read. Uh, just a couple minutes ago pastor alex are those who say my needs first i'm i'm here for my own interests we are all examples of one of these kinds of christians to one degree or another we're going we're going to fit this model and what's interesting of course for me is that i think very frequently you know we have this conversation now in our time where we say you know a real que- christian wouldn't do this if you were a real follower of Jesus, uh, you would behave in this way. You would vote this way. Um, you would talk this way. You would act this way. You would wear these kind of clothes. You would eat this kind of food. You would, you would, you would, you would, you would right? But Paul does not make this distinction. There isn't a true Christian and a false Christian in, in this moment um, in Philippians it seems as though um, there are Christians who are good examples and those who should be followed, and there are Christians who are poor examples, um, but they're all Christians together, right? And so it's, it's a bit messier. <laughs> it's a bit messier than we would like it to be. We would like to have clear, clean distinctions where, where those who are in the Jesus camp are good and right, um, and then those who are in the worldly camp are, are bad and wrong, but that's not the case. We we are Christians and and we are marred, um, but we get to choose the direction that we strive for. We get to choose what defines, um, what goal defines our reality. Now, the question is, what's that going to be? Is it going to be your interests or the interests of Christ as you do this life? Saying, yeah, Jesus is is the one that I'm that I'm following, that I'm living for. Jesus is the one who I believe in, who's who's going to bring me salvation? Are, are you going to be someone who says, because Jesus has saved me, I am going to pursue the interests of Jesus, pursue his glory, pursue the kingdom's advance? Or are you going to say, because Jesus has died for me and now I'm saved, I'm going to pursue the greatest life that I can acquire for myself so that I can be comfortable so that i can be happy so that i can have fun so that i can have the respect of those around me so that i can again fill in the blank
0: paul urges the philippians to live a life that is worthy of the gospel by working out their salvation that they may shine like lights and we explored this last week uh, when i preached and also in the podcast In what ways are Timothy and Epaphroditus examples of this command?
1: Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of this primarily when it comes to their hearts uh, and their actions. Aristotle said that there are three things that we use to, to make an argument. When you're giving a talk uh, especially when you're giving a, uh, a lecture, you're, uh, you're giving a presentation, that you can use uh, logos, the logic, that you can use pathos, your, your emotion, your feelings. You can tell that story that's going to you know, jerk those tears out of our eyes or make us laugh or make us angry. And you can use ethos. The fabric of your life makes a real argument for or against You know what you are talking about what you're what you're presenting on i think that in our time it's very easy to focus very much on the on the logic on the rationale on the thinking so we sit and and we gather for sermons and bible studies and we say what what is the truth about this doctrine what is the truth about who Jesus is? What is the truth about how we should forgive? What is the truth about how we should pray? And the focus of, of each of these things is, what is the truth of this? What is, what is the reasonable, the rational, the logical? What is the way that, that this should be? And that's great. Obviously, uh, thinking well is a priority of God's. Uh, God invites us, you know, come, let us reason together uh, in the book of Isaiah. And uh, God gave us thinking minds to inquire, to study deeply. But, but, the great but is that so many of us get so caught up in the logic and in understanding the what's and the why's that we don't get caught up in the, in the passion that we don't get caught up in the action. And of course, it's a lot easier. It's a lot easier to to live in your head and then not actually live all that much differently uh, in your interactions with each other, to not actually invest your heart and your soul in the people around you, because that's painful, because that's scary, because we get hurt when we do that, because sometimes the people turn on us. And I think because of that pain we so frequently gravitate to to this kind of rationalistic approach and timothy and epaphroditus give us an example of a different way we see timothy one who has proven himself through service so it's in the actions of his life it's in his ethos It's in his ethics. It's in who he is and what he does. It's the proof is in the pudding, the old saying goes. There's actually some substance to what this guy Timothy is talking about because he's put his life on the line for this. And in the same way, Epaphroditus has put his life on the line. He took that far and epic journey. He stepped out. He risked sickness And he delivered his message of encouragement and the funds, whatever articles were included in that package, that care package to Paul. He was there for for a lengthy amount of time ministering to him and then being ministered to in his his sickly state, but then getting better. Now, apparently, uh, he's probably the one carrying the letter back. Uh, to the Philippian church. And so he's someone who's shown that he's willing to do hard things. And so the question for us, as we think about uh, Timothy and Epaphroditus in, in this instance is, is where is our ethos? You know, would the people around us, as I look at myself, you know, do I say, yes, I can be an example in that way? Am, am I one who steps out to do hard things uh, for the gospel to to prove uh to prove that there's something beautiful going on. And, and like you say, you know, being, uh, being brilliant lights, you know, that shine out as, as a working out of our salvation, not as a working for our salvation, a working into our salvation, but a working out of our salvation. We get to be a part of, of making something beautiful in the world, something so beautiful it reflects the beauty of the salvation we've received. And so is our life reflecting that? And, and then secondly, again, this, this emotional component, this passionate component where am I anxious for other people or am I just anxious for myself? Timothy and Epaphroditus demonstrate, Paul says, Timothy, he's the only one. He's the only one. And and we don't we don't literally know. I was reading in one commentary. We don't literally know if he's the only one or uh, if maybe he's the only one there in Rome. <laughs> you know, uh, of course, there are probably other Christians who also you know have this sincere. But but at least he seems to be the only one right then at that moment who Paul can send, who Paul can be confident. Yes, this person is actually going to go for them and invest solely in them because of where i know his heart is i know that he has genuine concern and so they really are emotionally invested in those around them and are we do we care about those around us or do we only care about ourselves about our own interests so that's how i believe timothy and epaphroditus are really examples for us. I believe that when Scripture tells us that it's, it's by beholding we become changed, and actually we'll come to it later in Philippians, where, you know, Paul exhorts the Philippian Christians to, to think about whatever is right, whatever is true, whatever is excellent, holy, praiseworthy, you know, these things, think about these things. And he's saying that, again, in the context of the ministers around them. You know, look at those ministers who give you a true reflection of who Jesus is. Because when we look on those sorts of examples, when we feast our minds on those sorts of examples, the examples of that kind of love, of that kind of generosity, of that kind of caring, that is one of the tools that God uses to change us. As I, as I think about this, you know, yeah, we can say, oh man, I want to love more. You know, and then we can beat ourselves up for not loving more. <laughs> we, can, we, can, uh, we can get jealous and inadequate uh, and, and say, oh, like, I could never do what Timothy has done. I've, I could never do what, uh, what Epaphroditus does. My, my heart just isn't there. Or we can, we can recognize this truth of scripture that as we behold beautiful things and as we focus on those beautiful things, um, as we take steps to foster that kind of beauty in our lives, that, that God will be faithful to continue that transforming work. And, and who knows, you know, maybe one day um, a saint will be writing a letter about you saying, here's, here's my brother, here's my sister, here's my good friend, and uh, there's nobody like them. There's nobody like this person who's going to love you sincerely and wholly. And man... Oh, wouldn't you love to have someone write that letter about you?
0: Thank you for joining us today, Pastor Johnny.
1: Yeah, for sure.
0: Thank you for joining us for another episode of the MGC podcast as we go through the book of Philippians in our series titled Prison Letters. If you haven't done so yet, go to iTunes, rate us, leave us a review. I know it seems like a small thing, but it really helps us and it helps others find us. Well, my friends, till next time, grace and peace to you.